another thing is I'm a judge in the selection committee at the Monte Carlo TV Festival, which is next month. And I, I judge the news report and then the documentaries. And then I saw one for this year. It, oh, like the suffering of these animals in China is off the scale. And this report that a, a channel in Singapore have done of, of these animals in China, they've done a whole like 45 minute documentary on it of these animals that are abused in China. This is actually really serious work as well, because that's highlighted to me what's going on in China. And like some of these pets, for example. Hi, I'm Naomi Murphy, and this is the Locked Up Living podcast, where we talk with a wide range of people about harsh aspects of institutional life. We also explore some of the ways to overcome them and to grow and develop. I'm David Jones. So join us every Wednesday morning, six o'clock UK time, for a fresh podcast. So our guest today is very different to our usual guests. Kerry is a former national TV journalist with ITN ITV News and BBC TV News. Kerry founded the Broadcast Academy in August 2013. She's got corporate communications experience with over 22 FTSE 100 corporations, British politicians and British royalty. Kerry is also a judge on the pre-selection committee for news at the Monte Carlo Television Festival Awards and has run events on TV news in the House of Commons as well as being an official BBC 5050 project partner and winning CEO of the year in 2020 and also CEO monthly. The National Union of Journalists state that the Broadcast Academy is a good resource for journalists. And finally, among others, Kerry's worked with Apple, Walt Disney, Microsoft, Gina Miller, JP Morgan, a number of MPs, and she's also worked on the London 2012 Olympics campaign and with the England rugby squad and Manchester United. Really pleased to have you here today, Kerry. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. So very pleased to meet you. I'm a Manchester United fan, so you've really got your work cut out there, I'm afraid, at the moment. Um, that's quite a CV. Um, can you perhaps describe your career pathway to us? Have you always wanted to go into TV? Yes, I have. I have. I always wanted to work in TV. Um, so, but when I went to university, I I wanted to study media. That's about as far as I knew. But my my dad recommended. <clears throat> he didn't go to university. He said, "No, you need to do a degree that's going to get you a job." <laughs> and of course, that was business studies, which, which, as I know now, it doesn't make any difference, right? Really, what degree you do as to what kind of job you're going to get, so to speak, unless you want to be a lawyer or a doctor or a psychologist like you guys. Um, so I ended up doing public relations, marketing and business initially, but I still wanted to work in TV. So I somehow, I did start out in PR, but then I somehow winged it later on to be working in TV. And that was via doing free work experience for two years on and off. Also, I did I worked part time doing PR because I couldn't just take two years off. And then I thought, well, I'll, I, I, I still want to work in TV, so I'll integrate it. Um, and I, yeah, so I was like, how can I if I make a big jump age 27 or whatever I was into another career? That's a bit dangerous because it doesn't work out. 
So I integrated it in something I was already doing, which was PR. So the, the other side of PR is journalism. So I went into TV journalism. I mean, actually, I wanted to be a director, but you, I think to start out, you only got £50 a week or £50 a day. And I left university with debt. And I shouldn't have got into debt because I did get paid money by my dad. But I was so scared of him to tell him I was in debt because I knew he would have been mad with me. So I just basically paid the debt off myself. And, I, and so that's why it took me longer to get into TV. Because he would have paid the debt off, you see, but he would have been mad with me for two weeks. But I was so scared of him, I didn't tell him I was in debt. So instead, I just went into TV journalism as my route into TV. Because I thought, if I don't make it as a TV journalist, what I learned is still going to help me in PR. So that's the way I, that's the route I took. No, that's fine. That's, that's very interesting. Because often, I think what you're describing is that often it can be a very kind of convoluted way that people take in life but that can get there eventually from perhaps a different direction than they originally thought or intended yeah so did you face any barriers in getting employed in in this section because it's it's often assumed that you know you've got to live in london you've got to be wealthy to get into tv because often as you've hinted already you may have to to work for quite a long while yeah I don't think being wealthy necessarily automatically helps you because as I've just said that my background was wealthy but I was too scared of my dad to ask to tell him I was in debt so you've still got you know problems there but also I think you can be not wealthy but as long as you live in London then you're benefiting because obviously going to stay in London, the cost of rent and that, because I'm from Lincolnshire, that would have just been really expensive. But nowadays, the media, you know, is big in Manchester, it's big in Leeds. And I think really the most barriers to people doing what they want is actually lack of focus. I don't think it's necessarily to do with money. If you look at Cristiano Ronaldo, he was he was very, very poor background. I think his mum had several jobs, including cleaning jobs. Uh, something I don't know how many, but it's three, four, five, six jobs she had. And she had to work all those jobs to buy his football boots. So and look how successful he's got. So I don't and and also, you know, there's somebody next door to me. He pl I can hear him playing the piano. He must be eight years old. And he's absolutely like a genius. So I think he could get a scholarship So, to a university. So I don't always think money is necessarily a barrier. I think it's probably focused, perhaps lack of um, knowledge in your network at that time, you know, with me studying business studies wasn't necessarily the right choice. But that's, you know, what I was told at the time, right? So... But I do think, yeah, living in London and ha not having to pay any rent because you can live with your parents or parents is definitely going to going to help you, hundred percent. Mm. Or being a genius like uh, Ronaldo or your friend next door who's playing the piano. Yeah, that that helps. But of course, again, a lot of these, you know, Serena Williams. It was uh, Lewis Hamilton. It's because they had parents that were pushing them or supporting them. And um, they started from a very young age. 
you know and that's that's another thing isn't it so it's not necessarily money related it's just focus and practice i think and also having someone to push you like my parents would just say have you done your homework and i'd say yes but they didn't actually come in my bedroom and go let me just check because i didn't always do my homework you know what i mean mm -hmm. and so that would have made a big difference as well because i actually didn't do very well i wouldn't say i did very well in my uh high school education because I wasn't doing my homework I was busy going out having a good time uh, but later on when I did a master's degree that's when I got really good grades because I was doing something that I really enjoyed which is the TV journalism yeah because that's down to me then not my parents mm. but you've introduced the idea really of persistence and determination being yeah pretty important and we, we've come across that a number of times in, in doing these conversations so thanks very much for that um I was, wondering, well, I was just i was just wondering perry whether your family had valued what it is you were you were trying to and what you were going to go into because in some ways pr has a reputation for it, it doesn't have a reputation for being a profession in the way that some other careers have even though uh, you you'll be able to talk of the amount of uh, professionalism that you've had to apply there but i wonder whether you're facing any barriers there i'd very much imagine most people don't even know what pr is my family certainly didn't i mean i was working for the biggest companies in the world so i think they thought it was probably a good job some people call it corporate communications perhaps that sounds a bit more you know jazzy and professional some people call it strategic advice <clears throat> media advice um so when i was deciding whether to go into tv or not my dad said to me that the problem with me was the fact that i don't focus now he focused because he worked in property all his life and he was very successful and i was like why didn't you tell me that before <laughs> i don't focus and literally i focused so much after he told me that my dream job was to work at itv news so i went to university i got a master's degree in tv journalism and i was literally working at itv news within a year and a half after he said that that was the best advice he ever gave me and if you talk to bill gates talk to who's the other one warren buffett and my dad <laughs> uh the key thing is focus, yeah. And the other two things, like David said, is persistence and determination. But it's having podcasts like yours that can make people go, yeah, that's where I'm lacking now. I'm sat looking at Netflix instead of I should just be focusing on, you know, or I can't work out where I want to go. Should I go there? Should I go there? Well, just focus on that one and then go there, right, and do it. So that's, that's why things like these podcasts are really helpful for people because they might not have been they might not realize their main thing why they can't get there is because they're not focusing on it and um i'm just thinking your your dad was clearly a great uh, influence uh, on you a very positive influence by the sounds of it and i was thinking also because you you're being slightly disparaging about yourself not having worked as hard as you sh perhaps should have done when you were at school um but actually picking that up later on when you were doing uh, your masters and I think, isn't that just the way that many adolescents are, that their minds, their brains are so full of raging hormones 
but it isn't until later that they can settle down and focus in the way that you're describing. Yes, to a certain extent, but I think some people do come out with good grades at school because, I, well, I don't know why. <clears throat> Perhaps because they've got parents that are maybe pushing them a bit more or motivating them a bit more. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. That's what I mean. Like I would, if I had children, I would go in the room and I'd be, ch I'd be, I'd be uh, testing them. So some people have had it easy than me in terms of they've done really well at their A-levels. That means they've gone to a really good university. I'm, you know, I think I, I didn't necessarily have that. But a lot of successful people, though, you've got to remember, they do get into these good unis after doing good A-levels, but then they drop out, don't they? They drop out. But uh, no, I, I probably, if I could take my time again, I would have maybe worked a bit harder at my my GCSE. Me too, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> are, you, are you in the same boat then? Did you not get good grades? And you no, I didn't. Well? No, I didn't at all, no. Yeah. I wasted my time. I, in fact, I wasted a real opportunity. But anyway, this is not about me. <laughs> well, I remember my teacher said to me, I said, oh, I got, I got six Cs or five Cs. And he went, oh. That's really bad. I would have expected more from you, Kerry Hopkins. And he was really disappointed in me. And I was like, oh, well, you could have told me I was bright. <laughs> you know, you could have told me I got a better, better chance. Um, I got a better chance. I don't know. Well, that's been a thing. so powerful. Let me tell you this. I used to do really well at French. Like I was A's or B's. And one day, because I used to like talking, and asking questions. Funnily enough, that's why I obviously became a journalist. Uh, my teacher hit me across the face with a book. She went, shut up, boom. Hit me right across the face with a book. After that, I came out with an E in French. That's how like, it affected me so badly. Mm. And I didn't even dare tell my parents because I thought they'd tell me off for talking in class. But, you know, the power of teachers, you always hear it, don't you? People's stories about how teachers change their lives for the good or the bad. Um, but then you did ask, um, did I face any barriers getting into journalism? I would say no, because I, I took the initiative to write to broadcasters and ask them if they got any work experience. And so I did two weeks at ITV London which is run by ITN, <clears throat> and what happened was I did one day work experience at ITV News, and the producer was really impressed with me, and so they offered me a job uh, freelancing, paid work immediately. So that's how I did it. But the, I had to, you know, even though the college organized work experience for us, I did that because I so badly, if you remember, we go back, I, my teacher was putting me forward for all this other stuff, and I wanted to work at ITV. So I took it into my own hands to... Um, try and get work there I would say that but later earlier in my career when I was doing the free work experience you're talking about barriers I haven't had sexism that I know of obviously there is a lot of isms that we don't find out about but I have had ageism I have had ageism so I went I worked somewhere work experience and they said <clears throat> You're too, ex you know, you're too good to be a runner. I'd have you in as a researcher or assistant producer because remember, I'm going in like this is my second career. And I went to meet the editor, and I, and then he asked me all about my background and my age. I told him it was in my twenties, 
He said, oh, no, you're too old for the job. Um, I was like, what do you mean I'm too old for the job? He goes, well, people, if I take them by your age, they'll be a producer or something like that. Um, anyway, then I went back to talk to this director about what he'd said. And she, she was like, no, he wouldn't say that. Go ask him again or call him up. And then I did call him up, but obviously he thought I was being recorded. So then he denied it. But he did, he definitely did say I was too old for the job. I wish I'd recorded that. Um, I actually wish I'd taken it to the board now, but I didn't want to ruin my chances of getting a job in TV, so I didn't do anything. <clears throat> and then I found out years later it was too late to sort of do anything about it because you've only got, I think, three years to, to sort of do something about it. But, yeah, I've definitely had ageism, and I was literally in my 20s. I think that fear of not getting an opportunity in something that you feel very passionately about is one of the things that enables people to be exploitative of, of, of people um, further down the hierarchy, isn't it? It's slightly uh, bizarre to hear about uh, that kind of ageism at well, such a young age, of course. So, But it seems that you're saying that you haven't really encountered any particular barriers to being... A woman and yet you are I think very passionate about uh, empowering women so what drives that? Well TV journalism's got a lot of women working in it anyway so it's very female dominated I mean really I started helping other women just because my tutor said to me you need to find a dissertation subject for your masters so I was going to look at the fact that at Sky Apparently that Sky Sports Sports or something, they make the women wear the clothes off the rack and they're not allowed any other clothes. And these clothes have got a low, low cut. And my tutor was like, oh, no, that's been done before. So I was like, oh, I don't know how I came up with the idea, but I just came up with the idea. Why aren't there as many female comedians on TV as there are male comedians? And she said, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. We've not had that before. So <clears throat> I just started to study that and the influence of the broadsheet media have on TV is really powerful. So if a broadsheet newspaper says, oh, this TV show doesn't have any female comedians on it, then the editor of the TV show goes, oh, we're getting negative press. You've got to find me some more female comedians. But the problem is you can't. You don't just want to put female comedians on for the sake of it. You want to put funny ones on. Then there's the whole fact that women don't put themselves forward to be comedians because it's not sort of a thing in the playground the way boys play together and use comedy. Girls don't as much. That's what the study found. Anyway, then she launched this campaign to try and get the experts on TV to try and get 30% of them to be women, right? So then I was like, oh, I've just done this dissertation that's exactly the same reasons and findings. So then I just sort of got into it that way. Um, and I remember looking back at my <clears throat> clients that I had in PR, all the spokespeople were men. That's literally between sort of 1998 and 2012. They were all men. Then this campaign started. So we're only talking 10 years ago. 
um then now is about trying to help yeah let's put men forward but if you've got two spokespeople think about the other one being a woman so i just really helped my tutor because i thought i helped her with her campaign because i thought well you want more women i know loads of people in like i've got a lot of influence in the pr sector as well because i can influence what spokespeople to put forward and obviously i've got contacts in journalism as well so i just sort of fell out, fell into it really um and i've been helping women ever since but i have to say i am passionate about it but sometimes i'm like um i do still help women there's no there's no doubt about that and i do still but i i also want to do other things as well so like helping animals or you know you know children there's other things that I, what I'm saying, I don't want that to be my life's work, just sort of helping um, rich women get even richer through the power of TV and radio, unless they're sort of promoting a certain message that's going to help the masses. Yeah, you're, you're very modest and somewhat self-deprecating, it seems to me, uh, you, you imply that what you've done is just chance, whereas I think it comes from a very well-developed moral framework, actually. <laughs> That's the sort of feedback you get when you're talking to psychologists rather than just TV presenters. So, so what has it been like, excuse me, what's it been like to be a female employer within the corporate world? Yeah, that's a really good question, actually. So when I... Okay, so I hired somebody to do uh, to help me get one of my clients on TV, and I said to the th th this was two men, and I said to them, "Could you make sure? Could you give me the make you know like contact Sky and make sure that's still the address?" Then they said, "Yeah, yeah, it's still the address." So we turned up at the studio. It wasn't the address. They'd moved six months ago to another studio. So me and my client darted across London in a taxi. Fortunately, we literally got there 10 minutes before he was due on air. But he'd come all the way from Worcester for this interview in London. Like it was a, literally a whole day, hundreds of pounds in train fares. You know, like if this had not happened because of the wrong address, this would have been a disaster. It was sort of a bit of disaster anyway, making me look, you know, bad when I... I'd asked them to double check the address. So then when I had a word with them on the phone call about it, like, why didn't you check the address for real? Like, cause I did specifically say that. Um, and I didn't like, I, 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 I wasn't like telling him off. I was, but I was definitely getting my point across. And then he basically, um, quit that day, quit. I couldn't believe he quit for that point because I could have just sacked him, right? Because that mistake was so big, I could have just sacked him. But he quit. So then I, I, I really was so, like, so upset about it. I hired this coach, or I was talking to a coach anyway. I said, why has he done this? Why has he quit his job? He said, because you're a woman and that if you were a man, he could have given you some you know, banter back. But because you're a woman, he can't do that, so he can't take it, and that's why he quit. I was like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. 
So that was a learning curve. I'm not really sure how what I would do right next time because you've obviously got to address that. You know, that's a serious breach. Um, what else can I tell you about being a woman? Mm, I mean, there's a lot of women work in my industry, so. I suppose I was really wondering why so you, you said this. You said there's quite a lot of women work in the industry, but then you, there's been this campaign because only thirty percent of the people that come on as guests are women, and I, I suppose I'm curious about why that is given given there doesn't seem to be a disparity in the people that are working in the industry well now it's more, probably more than 30 percent, but i'm not sure because now i'm on the 50 50 campaign which is trying to get 50 percent uh, women on there well when i say my industry i'm talking about pr so the prs don't necessarily put themselves forward they're putting the clients forward uh, but this is just because they didn't used to see women on air, so they didn't think about putting themselves forward. I mean, I never questioned it either. It was just, it's just the way the brain works, really. So, which is, I suppose shows demonstrates the importance of the fifty fifty campaign and any other campaigns that in, increase diversity in terms of who we see on the TV. That actually, if there are people that look like us on the tv it makes it seem more possible that that could be you in the future appearing there yeah definitely and also they want more ethnic minorities as well they want people with disabilities which also includes mental uh health mm -hmm. so somebody with a personality disorder <clears throat> the one yeah they want to see more more of that on tv as well well we'll probably see a lot of personality <laughs> disorders on tv anyway because i'm sure Probably people with NPD um, want to be on TV perhaps more than others. I don't know. You two know more than me. You're the experts. Not saying everyone who goes on TV has got NPD, though, obviously. <laughs> Can you tell us, more about, tell us something about the Expert Women campaign that you've been part of? Yeah, so... I launched that in 2012, uh, Broadcast Radio Expert Women campaign to really go to the PR industry to try and persuade them to put men forward, uh, women forward, I mean, as uh, spokespeople as well. I think that's been a success. I've done events with like 100 people present. Um, clients have then started thinking, actually, I will put a woman in the mix. Some clients have even gone, We've only got one spokesperson and we're going to choose it to be a woman because I've been following Kerry's work for a few years and seen the big advantages of that. Um, so but we've got to remember, though, some journalists won't care about it and they'll just pick the same guy they always pick. I mean, you can't force people to do it your way. You can only say, look, this is a good way of doing it. <clears throat> but I think a lot of men now... I don't know how many, and I'm sure some still don't care about it. But a lot of men, like, um, they like to have a woman's voice as well on board because they want to hear their opinion as well. Particularly if they're selling to women, they're going to want to hear that, or they're employing a lot of women. So it's gone, yeah, it's gone very well. And now the BBC's moving it to 50%. They want on air, not just 30%. So um, I did an event in the House of Commons <clears throat> on it as well in 20 i don't know when it was a couple of years ago and that was we did a survey of the FTSE 100 to see how many female spokespeople they got and some corporations 
like EasyJet and Mondi, the stationary group, uh, and WPP, who are all FTSE 100 companies, they um, joined this non-profit thing that I set up at the time called the Broadcast Club as members and gave me their figures. Uh, but some of the other companies wouldn't give me their figures and there was no way of me finding out what they were. So all the national press wanted to cover the story and the results, but because I didn't have enough answers, they couldn't do it. So it prevented me from getting the story in all the national newspapers. So that was frustrating, actually. I suppose the lack of transparency might suggest that the figures don't look that great um, in terms of equality. And have you had other involvement with parliamentary groups? Yeah, I was in a group called Women in Media or something like that in Parliament. Uh, that was a mixture of TV journalists. Who else was in that group? Politicians. Um, yeah, anything to do with TV journalism, really, and, and journalism in general, print. <clears throat> so that was discussing things like whether journalists that are female have got a chance of getting promoted after maternity leave and things like that. But that came to an end. I can't remember whether the minister moved roles somewhere else or, so, or the budget was cut or something like that. So that didn't last very long, unfortunately. Thank you. And tell us about your, your latest venture and how you came to, to set this up, Kerry. Well, I've been running my own company since... 2013 so eight years as of eight and a half years <clears throat> and before I used to uh, get people on air myself so I pick up the phone and yeah the difference between when I started getting my own clients versus give, being given spokespeople I was now then representing a lot of women I'd say half men half women uh, but now what I do through the broadcast academy which is my company I help people like yourself, you know, psychologists, doctors, lawyers, archaeologists, who else? I mean, really anybody that you might see on TV, I help them learn how to pick, how to get themselves on TV news as an expert on a breaking news story or planned diary story. Or I train PRs how to do it because PRs really are taught how to work with newspapers and magazines but not tv and radio so i'm teaching them how to do it as well <clears throat> and they're learning a lot yes there's two types of people and we can put a link to your website in our, on our show notes at the, at the end kerry so finally it's hard watching stories about the war in ukraine at the moment and one can't help notice what a tough job journalism is did you find any aspects of the work emotionally challenging? And if so, how do you cope with that? Yeah, I'll, I'll answer that in two parts, actually. So when I first went to the meeting at ITN with ITV News, Channel 4 News, Channel 5 News and IRN Radio, they had this meeting where they share like who they're interviewing that day or what stories they're going to be putting out so they can help each other with the footage. And sometimes I remember at the beginning, there was like this really horrific story and they were cracking jokes. And I was like, oh, my God, are journalists really horrible? Then I suddenly realized, like, 
a few days later, oh no, they're doing this for coping mechanisms because what they see is so like upsetting. They have to use humor to um, get through it. That's why you see surgeons using humor as well. Um, but it's not that it's funny at all. It's the fact that it's the only way to get through the day and keep going. Right, so, because, for example, when a plane goes down and you see the footage on TV, what we've seen in the background or a bomb's gone off, we've seen the footage and it's like we learn what it looks. I mean, you can probably find it on the Internet now, but you learn that, you know, literally the, the body's like just tiny pieces and that's what you're seeing or like legs or heads coming off and all this. They see all this awful footage and they, they just crack jokes about it because otherwise they'll just be crying and won't be able to get the job done. So that was one thing. But another thing is I'm a judge in the pre-selection -select, uh, committee at the Monte Carlo TV Festival, which is next month. And I, I judge the news reports and then the documentaries. And then I saw one for this year. It, um, oh, like the suffering of these animals in China is off the scale. And this report that a, a channel in Singapore have done of, of these animals in China, they've done a whole like 45 minute documentary on it of these animals that are abused in China. Um, now, I, everyone's like, oh, isn't it really glamorous going to Monte Carlo, you know, and it's red carpet and, you know, it's obviously Monaco's really affluent place. Yes, it is, but, and that will be very nice, but actually this is actually really serious work as well because that's highlighted to me what's going on in China. And, like, some of these pets, for example, have had a person getting a kettle of water and they're pouring the boiling hot water on this little dog. Um, like the suffering in this in this documentary is off the scale, so that made me feel really awful. But that's not really gonna make any difference. It's me feeling awful about it, constantly thinking about it every day since I've seen it. It's not gonna make any difference. So I now want to promote this documentary to try and. I mean, it's going to be hard to change the law in China, but somehow just get get it out there, you know, maybe help the charities over there that are trying to prevent this. I don't know what's going to come of it, but I think there's no point just feeling sorry about something that you see. You've got to put it in action. And the pain that I feel seeing those animals, I mean, I've got a dog under here now. I just, like, it's horrifying. And they say, oh, well, if they if these people abuse animals, they'll abuse humans next. Well, I'm not really bothered. Like, I'm bothered about the animals. Never mind what they're going to do to humans. I'm bothered about what they're doing to the animals. Um, I mean, it's beyond horrific what's going on in China. They are <clears throat> people are buying animals off the Internet for like one dollar. They're getting posted to them through the post. Most of the animals are dying anyway, because because that's another point. They don't even put um, any food or water, and it takes a week to get there. And they do that so that it doesn't poo in the parcel. So the the animals like can't eat, like it's dying of dehydration, or if it does make it, then what happens is they then say, oh. 
people write on the internet to certain people and they'll say, I want to see an animal skinned alive, right? They'll then pay like $2. Somebody will hire an animal. Somebody will buy an animal via this method I've just told you. Then they'll skin the thing alive, film it, and they'll give it back to that person who bought that. That That's what that request was. This is what this documentary is about. Like, this is just beyond, like, my how I ever imagined. And obviously in the UK, we're, most of us are big animal lovers, aren't we? But in, in China, they don't have, not really, they don't really have laws to protect animals. So what I mean is, like, there's no point me just going, okay, this, this is great, what they've done, they should win, or they should be a finalist. I think we should try and actually help those animals. So I just want some good to come out of it. So I've just had a chat today to see if I can help promote this documentary. <clears throat> do you know what I mean, though? Like, it's not just about winning awards. It's actually what can we do to alleviate the suffering of these animals? I mean, it'd be the same if I saw with children as well. I'd feel the same and I'd try to help. Well, even, ad I mean, adults, really, any any of that sort of thing. I mean, the, the footage was so bad that... Like they had to blur blur it out, like, but even with it blurred out, you can still see it. But I'm actually glad they blurred it out because then when I play it back in my head, I'm just I'm seeing it slightly different. Um, but things like yeah, locking animals. What else? So yeah, pouring the boiling water on this poor dog. Oh, they had a blowtorch on a dog. Uh, they were blowtorching all his legs and his genitals. I mean, this is like horrific abuse. You can hear how, um, you know, even hearing those accounts sound extremely distressing, never mind watching it. I suppose I also took from that that one of the ways that you've coped with distressing material that you've come into contact with might be to channel some of your emotional reaction into activism around that. So wanting to promote um, awareness in order to, to try and affect affect change. Uh, we've seen this weekend, obviously, Hugh Edwards talking about um, experiencing depression over his lifetime. I think it's not surprising if journalists are experiencing um, symptoms like anxiety and depression, if they're often looking at material that would be quite disturbing. In professions like ours, when we hear those kind of accounts, we have um, a reflective space in order to be able to sit and talk about our emotional reaction to that work it sounds like that's something journalists could benefit from also yeah i don't remember having any reflective space it just um it was, it was well especially for me because i worked on the news desk so that was the beating heart of the newsroom it was full on it was full on yeah maybe you could propose that to some tv networks being the reflective space for them to talk about well, sounds like it could be could be useful when people are having to delve so much into the darker side of life. Mm. Sounds like it's one something that perhaps your company would be well placed to offer as well, actually. Because what strikes me as we've been talking is that you're what's called these days an activist. Um, so I don't think you've ever, by the sounds of it, been just a journalist. You're an activist as well. Yeah, I think I, I do seem to get into the campaigning side of thing. Obviously, I've done it with the women's thing. Now I'm going to do it with these animals. I've probably done it on other things as well. Um, <clears throat> and it is something that I'm like, why am I, like, it takes a lot, a lot of time as well. And sometimes I'm like, why aren't I just going to play tennis or something? But 
sort of like you can't really help yourself. That's the way I feel. Like there's no way I'm not going to promote that Chinese pet thing. Um, yeah. So if that's what I am, then yeah, probably I'm an activist. Probably am. Thank you, Kerry. That's it's something been... that you can't help. You can't sort of stop yourself. Um, yeah. Thank you, Brilliant. Then, Dave. Thank you very much, Kerry. That's been a great conversation. Thanks a lot. Great to meet you. Yeah, thanks a lot.